Hey everyone, today I will be reviewing the first three episodes of Andor. Before I get into it, just a quick warning. Halfway through this episode, my audio quality may switch. I'm troubleshooting the microphone, I need to get a new one, um, but sorry about that. I'm very late to review this show, but I really want to talk about it because I've been looking forward to Andor for a very long time, ever since it was announced. I think a lot of Star Wars fans were much more focused on Obi-Wan or on Book of Boba Fett, and I've been saying, exploring the grittier side of the Rebellion, exploring the morally gray. I've been looking forward to this forever, and then I'm a huge Rogue One fan, which helped, and then the trailers for this looked amazing. So I was expecting something great, but this is better than great. This show surpassed even my highest expectations. I don't know what we did as Star Wars fans to deserve this show. We don't deserve it. It's almost too good. This show is phenomenal on every level. This is easily the best show I've ever reviewed, possibly even the best anything I've ever reviewed. Not only is it a great Star Wars show, but it's just a great show in general. I was and still am incredibly blown away. I can't even believe that this show even exists. The fact that Disney, the Walt Disney Company is behind this show, that they funded it, that they allowed this show to exist, it blows my mind. This feels so much more like an HBO show than anything Disney would ever produce. It's crazy. And you all know, I love Mandalorian. I love Obi-Wan. I love Book of Boba Fett. I love the Favreau Filoni-verse. But this is a whole nother level. This far surpasses it. This is my favorite live-action Star Wars in years since the original trilogy. It's just that good. I love it so much. Getting into the review, I'm planning to structure my reviews of Andor sort of like I did with She-Hulk. I will review blocks of three episodes and spend the majority of the time on the recap. Um, So just because this is the first review of Andor I'm doing, I have some other stuff to run through really quickly before the recap, but this is the only time I'll do that. So quickly moving through it. First of all, the direction from Toby Haynes is fantastic. It's obvious he knows exactly what he's doing. The direction instantly makes you feel like you're in good hands in a way that no other Star Wars show has. This entire show has just been beautifully directed. Tony Gilroy's writing is also a standout. This is the best written Star Wars since the original trilogy. I feel like it's sacrilege to say this, but maybe even better than the original trilogy. It's at least in the conversation, which is a huge deal. Each character is fully realized and multidimensional. The dialogue is phenomenal. The story they're telling is fantastic. Typically, Star Wars operates in the binary. It's very good versus bad, dark versus light. Evil Empire versus Good Rebellion, Jedi versus Sith. By design, Star Wars has always been very archetypal. The princess, the scoundrel with the heart of gold, and then the hero farm boy saving the galaxy. It was very much um, tropes we've seen before, and that was the purpose. That was the point. But this is deliberately not that. This show is all about the gray area, the nuance, all the shades of gray in between the archetypes, and it's fantastic. The other thing about this show is that it's not just a good Star Wars story. It's just a good story that's wrapped in a Star Wars skin. You can take this exact same story and transpose it into any universe, any setting, and it would still be good. This is what every franchise property should be aiming for. I think you should find a compelling story first, then fit it into the franchise instead of going the other way around. Um, We also have to talk about the tone of this show. I've mentioned how it's more akin to an HBO drama than a Star Wars Disney Plus show. People tend to think that maturity means darker and more brutal. And while this show is those things, that's not what makes it mature. What makes it mature is the complexity of storytelling, the thematic richness of the show, how layered and nuanced it is, 
And that's what I love about this show. I love the grittiness. I love the grounded feel, but that's just a bonus to the storytelling, which is so complex, so layered, and so well done. We're all kind of used to Star Wars being this more pulpier, mythologically inspired, Flash Gordon type, Joseph Campbell hero's journey, that type of story, starring the larger than life heroes and villains and these situations that have massive stakes for the entire galaxy. And again, I love how this show is a denial of that. This is about the normal people living their life in the universe. This is the story about the people who make it possible for those larger than life heroes and villains. The people who make it possible for Luke Skywalker to blow up the Death Star and save the Rebellion. And I really love that. I should probably also mention the performances. This is the best ensemble cast I think we've ever seen in Star Wars. I'll go into more detail when I do the recap, but every single performance in this show is fantastic and elevates the already phenomenal writing. The casting in this show is amazing. This is far and away the best acted Star Wars project ever. Also, the pacing. Um, I've seen a lot of complaints about people saying, oh, it's slow, it's slow, nothing's happening. But to me, it's not slow at all. The show feels no need to rush from action sequence to action sequence. It just takes its time. It's building out the world. It's developing the characters. It's developing the story. So when the action does come and when it hits, it really hits. Um, I've never once been bored with the slower pace of this show. It's just constantly pulling me in and keeping me engaged. It's really well done. Also, the editing of this show, just beautiful. And that brings me to the other technical stuff. The cinematography, absolutely stunning. Finally, no more volume. Real locations, real sets, lots of extras in the background. Everything feels so much more grounded and real. This show has such a sense of verisimilitude that no other Star Wars show has had. Everything that can be practical is practical. And then when CGI is used, it looks amazing. But they just don't rely on it to the same extent that other Star Wars shows have. Also, the production design, the costume design are just beautiful. Every set feels so real and lived in, like an actual place you can visit. The detail in the background is fantastic. All the props, all the costumes, the sets have been amazing. And then finally, Nicholas Bertel's score. It's not um, like specific themes for each character. There's no memorable themes, but that's kind of the point. The point of this show is that it's about the real people. It's not about the big heroes. So the big heroes get all the memorable themes, but these people don't have their own individual themes because they're just normal people in the Star Wars universe. But the best way I can describe the score is really atmospheric and it's just fantastic. It does so much heavy lifting and creating the tone and creating emotion. And it's just really, really great, even though it doesn't have what you might expect from a Star Wars score. Okay, so now that we got through that, it's time for the recap. Um, it would be impossible to go scene by scene because of how great the editing is in that there are so many different storylines and characters all interweaved. So instead, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to go storyline by storyline, and we'll start with present day Cassian, and then I'll also lump in Bix and Tim, since that's kind of the central driving force of these episodes. And uh, let's just get started. We open with Cassian looking for a sister in a corporate zone of Morlana 1. Absolutely love the Blade Runner vibes here. He makes his way to a brothel, speaks to a woman inside. His sister worked there, but is long gone. He's harassed by two off-duty guards. Things escalate. He accidentally kills one, shoots the other, runs off to escape. And what an opening scene. Um, I love how this does two important things. The brothel immediately establishes the maturity of the show, and Cassian's actions immediately establish his morality. He's no shining Jedi Knight. He's no hero. He's a murderer. 
and he's our protagonist, but he's going to do bad things. And that's immediately established. Um, I love how the second cop immediately promises not to tell everyone after the first guy is killed. A common thread in these episodes is the lies everyone spins. All these people are lying, and it's a very spy thriller thing that I really like. Speaking of lies, Brazo helps Cassian spin a story to cover up what happened. Brazo is just the best. I think everyone needs a Brazo in their lives. He's a great character, and he's going to be an even greater character, especially later in the season. Cassian speaks to Bix. He wants her to contact her buyer so he can sell the Starpath unit that he stole. Adria Arjona and Diego Luna instantly have great chemistry, which makes perfect sense when we learn later on that they used to be lovers. Um, we also learn that Cassian's a little bit of a womanizer, which is interesting. We meet Tim, who is kind of the jealous lover of this story. Cassian runs into someone he owes money to. He talks his way out of it. And I really love how Cassian is characterized. He's a scoundrel. He's reckless. He's selfish. He banks on other people's kindness and basically uses everyone around him. He couldn't be further from the rebel dedicated to the cause that we see in Rogue One. And it's the perfect setup for a satisfying character arc. Tim follows Bix. She climbs up the tower. Great production design. This could have easily been just a a phone in the wall, but instead they put it in this tower and it was really cool. She calls Luthen. Pegla confronts Cassian, refuses to give him any more favors after previously letting him borrow ships. Again, we see Cassian using everyone around him. Tim sees the Imperial Bulletin for Cassian, begins to get suspicious. Cassian speaks to his mother. His mother confronts him. She's seen the Bulletin. They try to figure out how they know about Canari. Again, all about the lies we spin and the lies we tell others, everything with Fest and Canari. Um, phenomenal performance here from Fiona Shaw. I really hope she gets an Emmy nod. She's fantastic. She gets in kind of a shouting match with Cassian. And again, um, just with the dialogue, the tension here is fantastic. You truly feel the danger and the stakes of this moment. And that all falls on Fiona Shaw. She has to sell the danger and the urgency, and she does a great job of that. Cassian is in trouble and you can really feel it. You feel the dread. Really great. These episodes are so moody and atmospheric and uh, just tonally really, really great. Tim watches Cassian and Vix talking, reports Cassian, and here's the genius of these episodes. It's such a simple story. It's such a human story, a relatable story, something everybody can be like, yeah, I recognize that. I see that. It's the jealous, drunk lover who makes a stupid mistake. He's not evil. He doesn't want Cassian to die. He's just not thinking properly. He's intoxicated and he thinks Bix is cheating on him. It's a great story no matter what context you put it in. It's not intrinsically Star Wars, but that's why it works. Tim and Bix sleep together. Sex in Star Wars, that's a first. Um, we see Tim's guilt in the morning. Cassian prepares to leave. He speaks to B2, attempts to book passage off the planet. The drums kick in as we reach the end of episode two. Great score here. We see him walking through Ferrix's salvage yards. I think I also forgot to mention just the, uh, I think they called him the time grappler, the guy who does the gongs at morning and at evening. Great character, really memorable. Um, Cassian speaks to Brazo, asks him to take care of his mother. Ferrix as a planet, I just love. It feels like a real place. My favorite Star Wars planets are not the coolest looking. They're the ones that feel real and are the best developed and feel like you can actually go there, feel like they actually exist. And Ferrix, I think, is probably the most real-feeling Star Wars planet, maybe aside from Tatooine. Um, it's just really, really great. Um, the world-building, fantastic. I love how we meet so many townspeople. We see their jobs. We explore their lives. 
even the amount of extras in the background is way more than we usually see in Star Wars. What I love about this show is that it's like we're taking a magnifying glass and zooming in on the Star Wars universe closer than we ever have been before. So we're seeing all this detail we usually don't get, and I love it. This is so much like a Star Wars novel. This is the closest thing to a Star Wars novel we've ever gotten on screen. And if you read Star Wars books, you know what I'm talking about in terms of the level of detail and the complexity of storytelling and all the characters and all that stuff. Um, I love it. Cassian now meets uh, Luthen in the warehouse. This conversation, absolutely riveting. If I could, I would just go through and read all the dialogue, the writing, Stellan Skarsgård's delivery. I mean, what an actor. Just give him the Emmy right now. The rising tension as troopers are closing in. The townspeople start banging. They start making noise. The clanging gets on your own nerves. It increases the tension. Luthen tries to explain that it's not about the Starpath unit. It's about Cassian. He wants to harness Cassian's kind of natural hate for the Empire. Troopers close in. The scene gets more and more intense. It builds, it builds, and builds. Your heart is racing. You're kind of on the edge of your seat. And then Luthen delivers his already iconic line. Don't you want to fight these bastards for real? And then boom, it's like a balloon that's been slowly filling up and finally popping. Um, Luthen teaches Cassian a few lessons, explodes the door on some troopers. There's a shootout. Things fall from the ceiling. They barely escape the warehouse. And this entire fight sequence was incredible. It's not even about the choreography. It's not even about how it's shot. All of that is great, but it's just all about the tension, the buildup and payoff. And this show, throughout its 12 episodes, does it over and over and over and over again. And it's just masterfully executed. It's really, really great. And I think Tony Gilroy is just the expert at building tension. Bix's head is bashed into the wall by troopers for nothing. Tim is shot running to try to help her. And if this isn't a commentary on modern policing, I don't know what is. I think uh, they couldn't have made it more clear. And it's fantastic. The clanging stops and the tension starts to build up again. It's unsettling without the noise. Nothing happens for a minute. The show makes you wait. It forces you to just sit in the silence and do exactly what the characters are doing, which is just wait. Marva, again, delivers this incredible speech and she kind of gets into the trooper's head. Um, one tries to escape, but the ship is attached to a cable. It causes it to crash. Really great moment where we're seeing kind of the people resisting. Um, Cassian sneaks behind Cyril, gets information out of him, humiliates him. And then again, all the tension that's been slowly building up again is released as Luthen and Cassian trick the officers with an empty speeder. It explodes. They escape on another speeder. They speed away as Cyril is kind of shell-shocked at his own failure. A single tear rolls down Marva's eye as Luthien takes Cassian off Ferrix, which is juxtaposed against Marva taking him off Canari. And that is the end of this storyline. And I mean, wow. Just wow. It is incredible. The three-episode structure for this show is absolute genius. It's like a movie. These three episodes make the best Star Wars movie since 1980. The credits roll, and it's just chills. I'm completely blown away. It's powerful. It's emotional. It's beautiful. I mean, the editing of this show is so good, too, because they're balancing so many different storylines, so many different characters at once, and then the choice to cut between Cassian leaving Canari and then leaving Ferrix was genius. That's a masterstroke. Moving on, let's quickly go through the Canari storyline. There's not too much to say. Young Casa on Canari is in a tribe full of children. We don't know the full backstory, but we know there was some sort of imperial mining accident. We're going to see the mines later on in what is a beautiful shot. 
The tribe sees a ship crash overhead. Kasa is kind of borderline old enough to go with the warriors. He goes with them to investigate. He leaves his sister behind, which we now know is the last time he ever sees her, which is really sad. At the crash site, one of the pilots kills their leader. They knock out the pilot, bring their leader back. Kasa stays and explores the ship. He's unfamiliar with all the technology, so he attacks it. He's found by Marva and Clem, who are smugglers. They decide it's too dangerous to let him free. They take him with them. And that's pretty much it. I think there's a lot we still don't know about this story. I think we have yet to learn the tribe's whole backstory, why there's no adults. I think it's also a little unclear, a little convoluted who the ship was. It had Republic logos on it, but Marva implied that it was separatists. And then also the timeline's a little funky. Is this during the Clone Wars? Is this before the Clone Wars? I think we have a lot more to learn about this. And I think we'll probably get that information in season two. But all of it was great. Very compelling. Very well done. I love learning more about Cassian. The score here for the Canary scenes, fantastic. And then it's really great when they weave that score into the present day scenes as well. We've already talked about the genius move to intercut him leaving Canary with Ferrix. It's great. The only other thing about this storyline I have to mention is the decision not to include captions. I think it was really smart because everything we need to know is communicated without being able to understand everything they're saying. It's just done through the visuals, done through the body language, and it's really well done. Let's also quickly move through Luthen's storyline. Um, it's not much. He lands on Ferrix, takes the bus ride, deals with the relatable, annoying stranger who can't take a hint, and meets with Cassian. And I just wanted to mention that I liked his scenes a lot. This is such a random detail, but I love how when he gets out of the bus, there's like a stair droid that rolls up. It's such a funny little random background detail that I love. And then last but not least, let's talk about Cyril's storyline. Because Cyril is such a fascinating character, and he's one that's only about to get more interesting throughout the show. He's such a fascinating character because he easily could be, and in another story he would be, the hero of this show. He's surrounded by people who want to cover up Cassian's actions, who want to be done with it. And he's the only one who actually cares, who wants to investigate and find the murderer. Really, right now, the only thing preventing Cyril from being someone we can root for is who he works for. He's one cog in a system that oppresses so many, and he's doing everything he can to enforce that system. And that's what makes him such a good character. He's complex. He's layered. It's not just good and bad. He might mean well in wanting to capture a murderer, but he's working for something that is so much bigger than him and so much worse than him. Before I forget, I also want to quickly mention how much I love that this show uses this kind of corporate security agency instead of just stormtroopers right away. It, again, is more realistic. This show is aiming to be more realistic because um, the Empire can't be everywhere, obviously. It's a large galaxy. It gets bigger with every project that comes out and every new planet we go to. So it doesn't, it's not realistic for stormtroopers to immediately be everywhere, for the Empire to immediately be everywhere. So it makes sense that we start out with the Empire essentially using these rent-a-cops, basically. And I just really like that. I think it's a cool idea. It makes sense. Um, and I like how we're going to kind of move, start to move up and then expand our scope. We start out very small with just Ferrix and these rent-a-cops. We're going to go a little larger, a little larger. Eventually, we'll get to Stormtroopers, the ISB. Then we'll get to even higher up. Yolaren will come in, and we'll get bigger and bigger and bigger, and then return to Ferrix in the end. And I just really like 
kind of that overall arc of the story. Back to Cyril, we see his complexity in this fantastic opening scene where his boss wants to just cover it up and he's very unhappy with that. His tailored uniform says everything you need to know about him. He cares so much about his job, so much about how he looks, so much about his appearance, about his uniform, almost too much to the point where his job is his life, his job is his identity. Outside of the job, he has nothing, he's nobody, and we'll explore that more in a few episodes. His whole identity is wrapped up in this job, and it's kind of unhealthy, and it's just really fascinating. In his next three scenes, he proceeds to ignore the orders, investigate Cassian, and he gets more and more frustrated as nobody seems to care as much as he does. Finally, he's on to Cassian after Tim reports in. The woman from the brothel verifies his identity, and then Cyril meets with Linus Mosk to plan... And let's talk about Linus Mosk. He's a fantastic character because he's exactly what Cyril wants. He is someone who believes in enforcing order by all means necessary. And he's a great character because these are exactly the type of people we see in our world. These are the type of people who support fascism, who allow it to thrive. Ultimately, this show is commenting on fascism. He has this great line where he goes, the best way to keep the blade sharp is to use it. And it's an amazing line because you just want to go, no, no, that's a terrible philosophy. That's what we don't want. But it's scary because we know that lots of people in our world agree with that line who think it's right. This show, through a Star Wars context, is reminding us how fascism operates. And it serves as a mirror back on us. And it's also a warning. It's both a mirror of what's happening in our world and a warning of what could happen or where we're going. And it's fantastic. Good art is reflective of the times it was made in. Good art is inherently political. It has a point of view. Art without a point of view is boring and pointless. People who say, oh, I don't want my Star Wars to be political. I want it to just be escapist are ridiculous and completely miss the point because Star Wars has always been political since the very beginning. Talk to George Lucas. Listen to his interviews. Listen to his influences. Star Wars has always been political. Moving on from my little tangent there, I have to also talk about the casting. Every single role is impeccably cast, um, and I bring this up because the people who just have even one or two scenes, even the more forgettable minor characters, it's all about faces, their voices, their line delivery. These otherwise forgettable characters are made so distinct, so memorable by great casting, and Alex Ferns as Linus Mosk is just one example of that. He's such a memorable character, even though he doesn't have that much technically screen time, but just because of the face, the line delivery, the accent even, it just all really, really works and makes him memorable. Um, It's great. Continuing with Cyril's story, Linus recommends 12 soldiers to bring in one suspect, and I'll let you judge if you think that's overkill or not. Cyril gives his little awkward, self-important speech to the group that just couldn't care less. He thinks this is like the biggest thing in the world and it's just, they're like, it's not that big of a deal. They arrive on Ferrex and immediately we see the disdain from the locals. And it's a perfect little temperature check on public opinion against the Empire throughout the galaxy. It's just one little moment where we see people not happy with the troopers landing, but it tells us so much about the state of the whole galaxy. Really well done. Um, They invade Marva's house. They realize through B2 that Cassian's at the warehouse. Um, They're shaken by the townspeople resisting, banging on the metal. They persist. And I think from here, we've covered the rest. Cyril ends up completely shell-shocked at his own failure. And that brings us to the end of his storyline, which is fantastic. Just great. Every single character in the show, so compelling, so real. 
They don't feel like archetypes. They don't feel one dimensional. They all feel like real people with flaws and personalities and motivations and all these things. And I just cannot wait to dive into the next three episodes to talk about Cyril's story because it goes some really interesting places, how Cassian develops, and then Mon Mothma, of course, probably my favorite part of the show is coming up. So that'll be fun. But with that, those are my thoughts on Andor episodes one through three. I will be reviewing episodes four through six, hopefully soon, but not immediately. I think Andor reviews especially take a long time to write. Um, There's a lot of analysis, a lot of work goes into these. And since season two isn't coming out anytime soon, I'm in no rush. So don't expect my four through six review immediately, but eventually. But that's pretty much it. What did you think of these episodes? Did you like them as much as me? Less than me? More than me? Let me know in the comments, the email, the voicemail, or the form. And all those links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening and have a good day.